Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 475 of the Constructive Criticism Podcast. I am your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host, the man who always comes in clutch. They might say he is that guy. It's Mason Clark. Hey, you know, I'm glad that you're feeling better now. Unfortunately, Ava's still sick, but uh, yeah, I'm glad we were able to get the Ross episode out sort of really, really last minute, uh, relative to the time where we could get it to y'all in a timely way, and it kind of worked out. So it, was, was, it was good. It was so funny behind the scenes because, like, I think I texted you guys Saturday or something. Mm-hmm. Or so, no, I texted you Sunday, the day before. And I was like, uh, I don't, I don't have a voice. Like, I actually like can't talk. Uh, <laughs> and then Abe was like, "Fun fact, I have COVID." And Mason was like, "Okay." Uh, yeah. Well, Abe, Abe said I have COVID Monday morning. Oh, that's uh, right. He, that's he, right. He, yeah, he didn't reply for a day because he was sick with COVID. Yeah. <laughs> he like passed out, which was another fun part of it. Of like, oh, I guess it'll just be Abe and I too. You know, what are we gonna do? <laughs> it's too good. You're too clutch, man. You're too clutch. And it was a really fun episode. Okay. I'm uh, really glad that the listeners got to hear it. This week, though, we're gonna be talking about modern and all of the events on Magic Online. Um, that you know, by the way, are massive. I don't know if you've seen the numbers, Mason. These Magic mm-hmm. Online uh, events for Modern are getting pretty big. Uh, but all, all of those events since Wilds of Eldrain came out uh, and doing a power mm-hmm. ranking on there. Before we do that, though, let's get to the point of the show. Always improving. We always want to be getting better each and every week in any way that we can. Uh, Mason, let's let you go first. What did you do this week to improve at Magic for Life in general? Um, the way that I worked on improving in Magic this week specifically was sort of trusting my gut. The first time I saw Agatha's Soul Cauldron, I was pretty sure it was great, and I should have just snapped Gotham, but I didn't, uh, and I, I kind of regret it, and I think Yogg is in a really good place, so I, I put a lot of work into that and really trying to figure out how I think that deck kind of works with this card and sort of is this, like, the new, like, one of the better things, and I'm sort of of the opinion that, like, and it's a little bit of a spoiler that y'all gets like significantly improved from Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And I don't want to go too detailed because I think that will be kind of the main topic and spoilers. We will talk about y'all at some point. Um, but I, I really worked on that deck and sort of honing things, trying different sideboard cards, talking to people about stuff and trying to sort of figure out exactly where I want to be with y'all. If I'm going to be playing y'all, cause I am playing the ragged van secret lair showdown uh, in Vegas this weekend, which is like, you know, this hundred dollar win, like this $5,000 ragged van type thing. So uh, I've incentivized to do well in modern. <laughs> Dude, uh, I have a funny story about this card, uh, and it is about it actually involves you. I was burning. I don't remember if it was one of the challenges of the super, but it was while you were on camera uh, at Apex, and uh, somebody plays the cauldron, and you pick it up to read it, and I literally just slammed my hand on my desk and go, Mason, how is that a reader? It was your card in the pick two set review. No, I thought seized it. No, you he ca- they cast it and you picked it up and read it. Guarantee. Uh, go back. Roll the uh, film editor. Roll the uh, film. I, maybe it did happen. I definitely well, and I know for sure TJ who listens to the show, because TJ didn't play it on turn two in one of the games. Mm-hmm. And I thought seized it and I had Leyline of the Void the other game. And I thought, wow, if TJ just played this card, I couldn't win. <laughs> and I, I double-checked to make sure I had read it because uh, it had been a long time since I had read it again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, we talked about it during the picture set review, right? Like, it was, like, one of my hits. I think that card is very, very good. And yeah. I think I understood I, I, how good For what's worth, I could be wrong here. You could have been thought-seizing it and then thus reading it again during the thought-seize. 
Yeah, I just wanted to make sure it did everything I thought it does, which is everything you imagine anything could do. You know, yeah. like if you could do it, Agathus does it. <laughs> so. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go back and watch the vod though to see if to see if mm-hmm. I. I uh, but it was so funny. Is I was watching with Matt because like their his round was over, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Why is Mason picking up this card to read it?" It was literally his pick two card. Hey, here's an always improving moment for listeners. I double check things a lot. My full time job is magic. I, I, listen, I worked on Modern Horizons three. I know Modern. I double check cards a lot, sure. just to be like, uh, you know, make sure. And there's nothing wrong with taking just a second to like. Sometimes I'm also just like skipping to check a certain line, like if sure. until end of turn, right? You know, and ain't nothing wrong with taking a little extra second to read. Yeah, but it doesn't. I'll defend that to like that. this moment. That's that's. Yeah, I know, but but yeah. li- sometimes listeners they don't know. You know, they might think you're serious. Oh, you no. help them out. No, for one, like. I probably already read that card like 11 times and I would probably still read it again because like Mason said, it does a lot of things. It has like three different clauses of things happening, like exiling counter gain abilities. This is a good moment because today, uh, Matt Klain and I were uh, talking and we were talking about the the artifact in uh, Hardened Scales. Uh, ob- there are a lot of artifacts in Hearts. Sorry, the, the Ozla. The Ozla. Thank you. I was like okay. <laughs> the Ozla, and he's he's like, did you know that that's leave play? And I was like, maybe I knew that. And he's like, yeah, because I freaking tried to bounce it with a with a fairy, and I was like, oh no, I've actually made the same mistake before. So because it's not yeah. dice. Yeah, Othloth is so weird with, like, also modular. Like, I don't know how yeah. you'll have played against that, but you'll play against the Morgan Soul Cauldron. Like, if you, if, let's say, Spencer has an Arcbound Ravager in play and has the Ozolith and has, like, a other artifact creature, and I bolt his Arcbound Ravager, he can, like, sack it, and the counter goes to the creature, but then another counter magically appears on the Ozolith. Yes, correct. Because the thing with the counter left play, and it's just like, wait, what happened? And then you just, like, often double the power out of nowhere, and it's just like, oh, no, I'm dead. What happened? Yeah, I played against <laughs> I played against that deck a lot with uh, with creativity, and you often just, like, have to, like, you're forced into killing the Ozolith just so that you can kill things throughout the whole game, otherwise things get out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for like, me, uh, always improving this week, uh, also involved reading a lot of cards because my I, I, I downloaded Arena again, for those who don't know, uh, just to like get games in during certain times. There are th- certain times where like Magic Online is easier to play, and then there are certain times where just getting games in quickly is fun. So I downloaded it again. Uh, I haven't put any money back into it, but what I did do is I worked on Standard because we had a Standard episode the, the coming up and Worlds coming up, and I wanted to make sure that I had hands on that format. Uh, and I I obliterated Standard Mason. I... I made standard my my little friend, and uh, <laughs> it's cool. I, I've got I had multiple patrons. One of them posted the Discord that they were playing the deck. Another one reached out to me on Messenger that they've been playing the deck, and it's just like the black green mid deck from the challenge with like quite a few changes. But man, it it is a stark change. The difference that like just a few cheap spells can make for a deck compared to like something like the blue black midrange decks that had been taking over standard for the last few months and just you know the 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 difference between those two decks is startling both on my win percentage and then also the way the deck plays out it's really interesting Mm -hmm. yeah little things go a long way in standard right like i think i think that's pretty interesting is like in modern you can 
like metagame and do things, but a lot of times it's like your sideboard and standard. You can do like whole changes, right? And like the power level of the cards is a lot more flat. There's often like a couple outliers and everything's like pretty good. And then like, you know, like you have like Nissa in your deck, right? It's like the seven drop, uh, Phyrexian one that I don't think is pretty common at the moment. And like that card completely changes the way games are allowed to play out. And like, you know, if your opponent just thinks you're on stock black green mid range, Anissa coming down and like changing the power of the board immediately, is just going to like dramatically change things. So it, it's really cool just to see how those things can innovate and change. Yeah. And I think also standard is like in a really interesting place where you saw mono red doing really, really well to start which I just think that, like, aggro decks have been pretty underrepresented f for basically as long as Shieldred has been in standard. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of nice to see uh, the changes. And I actually got to play some on right after I was crushing with Green Black, and it, it, is, it is certainly a deck you can play. Is that, is that your way of saying it's legal cards or that you think it's fine? It's fine. Uh, it, you okay. play against it a lot on Arena right now. Uh, mm -hmm. Just because it's both done well in challenges and like is a good aggressive deck, but it, it I still think it has a lot of the same problems, just with much better cards and a more solid game plan as the deck gets larger, or as the that card pool sense. gets larger. I guess I should say. Yeah, it is really interesting, right? Because everything we just talked about is standard. That is all under the guise, at least for me, of. Six, uh, sorry, six set standard, right? Or it's, I guess it's eight set standard, sorry. We are now entering a nine to soon right. to 12 set standard. And it's going to be really interesting because the bar becomes a lot higher for a card to see play once there's like more competition. So I still think we're going to see a lot of cool stuff happen with standard in a way that you don't see. Like Worlds is in like six days, Spencer, and I cannot wait to watch Worlds on Sunday if I haven't won a brainstorm. <laughs> like I actually have knowledge. no idea what people are going to play at this Worlds. Like, the, the yeah the format seems like in the in an interesting place yeah i'm rooming with dom who just on the show and i thought about bringing a microphone and doing the night before the pt get a little crossover episode you know and have like a little like all right dom this is before or before world sorry it's the night before worlds how are you feeling what's the confidence meter so that when he crushes it i can just be like he was the goat and then if he doesn't gets it wrong never happened <laughs> it's gone just don't post <laughs> Oh, I lost my phone. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm tweeting about it. Can someone help me find it? <laughs> uh, if you want to support the show directly, head on over to patreon.com slash ccmg. If you have a patron of the show, the show will always be free. We have a great community of people, though, if you want to check out the Discord, uh, things like that. Uh, just a quick shout-out to our sponsor over at puremtgo.com, uh, where we post the show every week. Uh, and, you know, they, they give us the MTGO monies. And, the you know, that helps support the show, so... And also, just once again, don't forget to sell your cards to MTGO traders if you don't have a subscription service, uh, just to help keep the Magic Online economy reasonable. You know, uh, you know, you got people who are always open, like Matt Kling. Uh, turns out that if he had sold his chest this year, he thinks he'd be up hundreds of dollars, uh, just hundreds and hundreds. Could have been up thousands if he kept opening, and that's, that's true. like never give up. Uh, it's <laughs> never give up. Trust your instincts. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. And then just a quick announcement before we get into our main topic. Uh, if you're a patron, you already know that this is coming, uh, but I should be scheduling. I actually had three, three of them message me today. I have invited every single co-host in the history of constructive criticism to celebrate the 10 year anniversary uh, that happens uh, this, this fall to come on a bonus episode and just 
talk about the show, talk about magic, talk about their life. It's really exciting. I already have show notes written. Uh, we're we're going to do Kyle first, who is on episode one, the pilot, and that was it. So it'll be a fun <laughs> one because he has the behind the scenes of like uh, the shows that were almost shows instead of CCMTG before we finally hit the record button and how like I finally made the decision like, all right, this is actually the show we're going to do. It's going to be about helping P- PTQ grinders win PTQs. And it's cool to see. And he he's also a listener to the show, and he knows how the show has changed. So it'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see everything happen, you know? It's going to be – I don't know when they're coming out, but it's going to be cool to see. It. Do you plan to, like, drip feed them or just kind of, like, drop them? Yeah, I'm going to drip feed them. So, like, I'll do Kyle next. probably next week. And then mm-hmm. uh, I think John wants to be on pretty soon. So John will probably be after nice. that. Um, John Stern, Canadian master. Canadian master and nicest guy in Magic, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, top five for sure. He has to apparently compete with Sakenic, uh, 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 but mm-hmm. yeah, Sakenic's up there for sure too. So like, it's a uh, it's rough out there. Yeah, I, I get it. Mason's like top ten, so he's like trying to weave his way up. I'm I'm, I'm bubbling, you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> I, I'm like I'm, I'm happy with the top eight, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's talk about modern. Uh, rankings this week, and this is all data after Wilds of Old Drain. Um, so, out of the rankings work, if you are new to the Power Rankings on CCMDG, this is uh, hundreds of episodes old at this point. Uh, in, I think we did one of these in the first like 10 plus episodes of CC. Uh, it's six points for first, five points for second, three for a uh, four for a top four, three for a top eight, two for a top 16, one for a top 32 if the tournament's big enough. I did not have time to do top 32s this time. Um, so all of our points are based uh, off of top 16s. And the events that are included is every challenge and the super since Wilds of Drain. And I want to talk really quickly about this. Um, that normally I would, and in the past, like if you've heard me, I've spent the time to go into Twitter, to go into places to find out like what won the 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 apex what won the face-to-face what won the other stuff and mtg melee if you want to send a request to them on one feature that would be helpful for stuff like this it would be to include final standings because they don't do i can tell you apex was won by scam uh fan of the show don delusion there we go yeah copy nathan Stoyer card for card in one beating yogmok uh in the finals uh so the other thing that i want to say before we dive into these and I, I know that I would have a problem with this if I was a Mason Clark, uh, is <laughs> the way that we combined Omnath decks. But there's so many Omnath decks, Mason. I think right now is the one time I'm not going to be like, about it, because there are a lot of different there's ones. There's 75 card Omnath, there's Bring to Light Omnath, there's 4-color and 5-color Classic Omnath. There's so many. Yeah. I'm surprised I haven't seen... I saw one person play Bowmaster Omnath. I was surprised I haven't seen more of that, to be honest. Uh, sure. I don't know, the mirrors and stuff. But anyways, yeah, like, Omnath is in a weird spot. I don't want to, you know, bury the lead here. We'll get to that eventually. But yeah, that is our one caveat. Every other deck is sort of separated and is what it is. But our Omnath decks are in a big pile. So take that with a grain of salt. Maybe, you know, 
knock five points off, whatever, if you want to. But they all are trying to do a similar game plan. Yeah. And very few of them are like Valakut type stuff, even though I think there are a couple. So like, I don't know, if it was me, I'd knock five points off and call it a day. It's not going to be the end of the world. Wouldn't You're gonna even be affect the power rankings. <laughs> yeah, it would just be like slightly slower, smaller number, worse person, as they say. Uh, let's, I, let, I do you want to uh, just mention our own mentions really quick? Because they were pretty close. Uh, mm-hmm. To our eighth place deck, uh, we have Merc Tide with twelve points, and sh- to shock the world, coming back from the dead, Titan Shift with twelve points. Yeah, I think Titan Shift's in a kind of a nice spot. It's really good against the Omnath decks, and this is one of those things too. Where last summer, when I was running around the world killing everyone with Omnath, it's like I know it beats me. If you want to do the Scape Shift stuff, I won't win. But in that point in time, Murktide was a huge part of the metagame too. And that not being as big a prevalence and now Scam sort of usurping Murktide as the mid-rangey sort of grinder deck of choice has really changed what is like players are willing to bring. And Time Shift is a deck that sort of dumps on the Omnath decks. And while not the best against Scam, it is not the worst. Like if you have the right hands, you can sort of dump really quickly and start valicutting and kill them. I, I'd rather be Titan Shift than Amulet against Scam. Uh, which says something, and then, but I'd still like be like the better big, like I, I would still be favored against like Tron, for example, of like the another big mana deck. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot to like about Titan Shift, Merktide. There's a lot to like too right now. the 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 main problem here is like the just getting buried by beans is like the real problem for uh, for Merktide. Uh, I just like there's so many beans that you I, I think it's a, like a legitimate problem for the deck. I don't know how to solve it. Because other than that, I think the deck is actually really well positioned. Yeah, I think this has always been a Merktide problem for it's worth that like the four color decks, you just gobble up Merktide. It wasn't good when it was 80 cards. It's gotten, you know, basically the same now as 60. And you know, Beanstalk sometimes we're seeing more than 60, which we'll get to later. But, you know, I think just like on a core level, it's really hard for your deck that's trying to protect one threat to have the one threat against Murktide, especially when the counter spells are how you often protect it. And Teferi Time Raveler, while it is weak to Force Negation and Subtlety, which are now parts in the main deck, which weren't before, you do have to draw those cards in the right lineup against Teferi. Because if you stick the Teferi and you can get it out of Unholy Heat range, or even just, you know, you fight over Murktide, you kind of lose, and then you stick to Fairy Unsummon it. Like, that can be huge. And the difference between an 8-8 and a 5-5 Murktide against a deck with Omnath is actually huge. So I think the matchup, you're just kind of behind it, and there's not much you can really do. And I really actually like the approach a lot of people have been of, like, I got a couple Blood Moons, I got my normal game plan, I got some subtleties, you know, for, like, the Scam deck. It's good against Omnath. If you beat me, you beat me. But, like, I, I can't beat the matchup, so I'm not going to dedicate... 10 spots to it or whatever. I just, I'm not going to change what's wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, and we had, uh, I think it was right before woe came out. So it's not including this. There was like a, a challenge that like six of the top eight was Murktide. Had that been included? Yeah. Right after the preordain. Yeah, exactly. Right after the mm-hmm. preordain on ban. So it's not like this deck is bad. It's just in, you know, th- there's just so many beans. I don't know. I, I was just going to say like, if you're listening at home and you're like someone who loves Murktide or maybe you like, have Murktide, but you have most of Scam or Rhinos or something, right? Yeah, like like you're a Spencer, and you're like, oh man, the guys on the show, blah, blah, it sounds like I shouldn't be playing it. Murktide is still like a fine deck, but once again, it is, like, if you are really good, you will do better than Murktide than the average person, 
but I think you'll do that with all the decks, uh, to be fair, that are good in modern. And so, like, Murktide is just fine. And if you anyone ever came to me like, yeah, I won my RC good Murktide, I would not be surprised because yeah, Murktide is a good deck. It's a reasonable deck, gamer deck. And and to be mm-hmm. completely transparent with the listener, uh, I I personally, uh, before feel, still feeling a little under the weather on Saturday, had Murktide sleeved up. I was going to play it with a cyborg guide. List posted in the Discord. Like, it, uh, and I, that's knowing that people love Omnath. Like, I, I still I still think it's a totally reasonable deck for your RCQ. But we all know I'm going to be Triton Shift the next time I get a chance. Let's be honest. You got to do it while the beans are hot, man. I think I think your matchup against Lasso is kind of rough, but the beans are good. Uh, let's talk about making some beans hot, and let's talk about Burn really quick. This deck is so funny, Mason, because it gets no results offline. I think Burn Loki sucks. And I, we can go into that in a bit. And I think part of what you're saying is why, though. I just, I don't, I don't even understand. Like, like we, I, I, I am in a lot of matches of Magic Online these days. And I, I don't know what Burn legitimately beats. Yeah, I, it's pretty good against Omnath, but it's not like a slam dunk. Right, like, like their their uh, Omnath. If he can stick and get a land, typically game over. It's kind of an unbeatable situation. Um, you're fine-ish against Scam, but like you're not like over the moon. Your Coffers matchup isn't that great. Your Yog matchup, I think, is pretty good, but like the rest of these, I don't super love. Uh, you know, Living End. You know, you really need your Rolling Vortexes. Rhino is kind of a similar spot. Murktide is like your worst matchup. Time Shift is probably a race. You know probably slightly favored burn because you know they're on the play half the time but you know i think a lot of people think burn and they see it and like yeah it like beats on these top decks and that's why you will see it do well in modern on moto sometimes because like the metagame is different on moto than it is in real life and that's like important to note that like playing magic online is playing a living card game where everyone basically has access to all the cards and not actually everyone, but like kind of, I would say 70 to 80% of the people who play challenges consistently use services like man traders, like card hoarder. And that means they have access to all the cards. So the mini game actually shifts in the real world. It is very hard to shift like that and to be on top of the metagame and play the best deck all the time. And so in the, you know, in the abstract world, maybe, you know, scam is the best deck, right? But it's really hard for everyone in paper to get scam in time to have it for an RCQ. So you can have that read with Murktide, or I'm sorry, with Burn, that like you want to burn out scam or whatever in Omnath. Like, sure. But the most of the room just won't have it. And in RCQs, not everyone's there to win. You know, and on Magic Online, predominantly, you're playing either for fun or to win. And kind of with the challenges to the high entry, it sort of leans that way. So I think Burn is just not actually that strong. It leans on speed more than anything and efficiency of cards. And I think it is deceptively hard to play, doesn't have many good matchups, and is really hard to like actually beat a room. Cards in modern are so good now that you just don't get that advantage of invalidating things with lava spikes, etc. People can just play the whole hands, and that is often a recipe for disaster for burn. So of decks with over a hundred matches recorded on mtgdex.com or dot net. Mm-hmm. Burn has three good matchups. They are four color creativity. Mono oh yeah, that, that matchup is free. <laughs> mono green Tron and four color Omnath. And every mm-hmm. other matchup uh, with over 100 matches played is losing. And there's no and for what it's worth, its matchups against Hammer Time and Merktide are 
atrocious. Yeah, Murktide is like literally worst case scenario. If you played Old Burn and you knew Jund, imagine Jund, but except the Thoughtseize Inquisition, they have Counterspell Spell Pierce. Yeah. It's like, oh lord, I'm dead. And then, like, Hammer? Here's the secret. If you're a Hammer gamer, you're like, how did they win? They always deflecting palm me. I'm going to break your brain for a second. Just search up Shadow Spear and put it on a creature and just hit them a little bit. And yeah, just fun, don't hammer them. Fun fact. Uh, <laughs> hammer Time is its worst matchup uh, with of those by like a lot. The the, the ten of Shadow Spear deck <laughs> is very good against, good against <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, nice. <laughs> I, I here's the thing. I this deck does well on Magic Online. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm not gonna pretend that it doesn't because it does. I just don't. I don't see people losing to it uh, outside of like. I guess, like, yeah, they drew three burn spells in a row off the top, and I lost, like, and I drew lands. Like, that is the time that I see people losing to it, and I just don't know that I put that much faith in, you know, I'm not you, Yumoto, man. Like, I just don't have the heart of the cards like that, and I well, I don't know. I mean, in that situation described, how often are you actually losing if you do any? Like, if you play Yawgmoth, and you right, draw three exactly. lands, I draw three yeah, spells. No, that's a good it, point. It's like, if I go halfling, halfling, young wolf, Maybe that's something you can beat, but like, probably not even. That's like a lot of power, you know. If you're a strong lands, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. like, it, it's it's tough. It's tough out here. I also think that burn is an extremely hard deck to play, so I just wouldn't want to pick it up for an RCQ. So you don't get bonus points for playing hard decks. Let me tell you, someone who's played a bunch of Omnath, it's just you don't get bonus points. I want to mention something too, by the way. I forgot about Tron when listing the good matchups and your creativity and Tron are both just slam dunkers. But like that is where I think Tron's at. We don't have to get into this if you don't want to. I am a Tron, not truther. I I think Tron is pretty bad. And I think it had its place in the metagame for the pro tour. And I'm just sort of like not respecting Tron right now. And maybe that's going to bite me. Like people are just going to play it. But I think that deck is just not that like, it's just not it. I think that we've talked about three decks that all have good Tron matchups. Yeah. So true. Uh, we talk about a fourth. <laughs> I, I actually don't think this deck has a good Tron matchup, but we can talk about it. Oh, you don't think Rhinos is a good Tron matchup? No, Interesting. But let's talk. Let's talk about Rhinos. Yeah. So Rhinos comes in next. It comes in with. Oh my gosh! I just lost my page. Uh, it comes seventeen in with seventeen points. Thank you. And what's funny is like the Cascade decks. We're on like the downest of turns before well, and it didn't get anything new. People just went back to the stuff that they enjoyed playing that they thought was good before after the preordain and after Woe came out. I, I think Rhinos is fine. This is just the definition of a fine deck. Um, I've never lost a competitive match of magic with, with Rhinos. So like, you know, I I just you know With or two? With. I've never lost with it. Oh, you, you, you just crush everyone with rhinos. Yeah, I've literally never okay, lost okay. rhinos, so. Nice. Oh, I've only lost rhinos. Not, I think that's not true. I think I lost my first match ever, and then I've won every one since. I apologize. Uh, I think I'm the opposite. I think I won round one of an energy when I borrowed a deck and then lost everyone after it. But I, I think <laughs> I think the deck is is fine. And, like, jokes aside about me playing one 1K with the deck, I think that the world of modern actually became really interesting for Rhinos when 4-4 started to become the biggest thing again. 
because something that ends up happening a lot like for with Merc deck, for example, is you're kind of first forced into playing your Mercs a little earlier than you would want to normally, which makes Merc Tides smaller, which makes Rhinos bigger, in my opinion, as far as like the scaling of creatures goes overall in the format. And also, like, just heads up, people, there was only one, uh, there was only one Green X Saga deck in this entire field, and... That's the only other deck that makes something bigger than Rhinos, basically. Mm. I guess Death yeah. Shadow does, but there were zero of those. Yeah, De- De- Death Shadow is a weird one. Death Shadow is also really funny with the Rhinos and Trample. You really put your opponent to the do you know magic's mechanics test. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Four Fours got huge. Like, they're just big now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I, I think like a great point you mentioned, like, so it's, it's kind of hard to think about, right? But like, like Spencer mentioned, like let's say Spencer and I are playing, I put some rhinos in play real quick, and Spencer even makes a six-six Merktide. The fact that my rhino with a dead gone or fire ice trades is actually huge. To speak to what Spencer is saying, it's like I know it doesn't seem like it's much, but it's actually a ton. And heaven forbid he puts a five for what five out, because then violent outburst is suddenly a kill spell. And Spencer's like, oh no, it made two four fours and it pushed the damage and it killed my Merktide. I can never win. I'm dead. And and while that matchup is pretty good, um. I do think Rhinos is just fine. I, I have gone from a year ago, I think it was awful, and I will stand by that, uh, to now I think it is a fine deck that has weekends of being good. And if you like the Rhinos deck, there are worse decks to be a one-trick of or whatever. Um, but I, I, I think it is Stone Cold just fine, and it was really good when Mystical Dispute was like a thing that you could really lean on, and I think it was a fine deck for PTs. Um, like, if you just think there's going to be some type of decks, like, it is nice against Yawgmoth, for example. Like, it is a strong Yawgmoth matchup, and if you think that's going to be represented at the Pro Tour, it's a good choice. Also, I know some Pro Tour players thought a lot of the people who weren't on testing teams were just going to bring Murktide. That ended up not happening, um, but, like, this deck is good against Murktide, right? So, like, it has some really good matchups, and it just does a pretty good tempo game plan, right? Like, puts the threat down, free spell to stop your thing, hit you for eight, call it a day, you know? So, it's fine. Yeah, next up we have another Cascade deck coming in with only one more point. We have Living End. The natural predator to Rhinos. One more point. That's because they eat up all the Rhino players. It, it is sort of the mirror breaker in the Cascade decks until Glimpse Food becomes a thing. <laughs> I, I I think that Living End is the, exactly what I think Rhinos is. It's a fine deck. It has its weekends. Mm-hmm. If people aren't prepared for it, it's like a really good choice. Um, mm-hmm. it makes, it makes the game about something. And if people aren't prepared for that, something they're going to lose. It's exactly what Rhinos does. Yeah. I, so I, I have a question for you that I want to ask. I will say this really quickly that one thing I like about living in is that it's deceptively hard. Um, and I think it doesn't get enough credit for like, some of its turns are really tough in the early game where like you're having to sequence like griefs, like when you go for them and like that sort of stuff. Um, I think that can be pretty tough. Uh, but since so my question to you is of living in rhinos, which do you sort of prefer more? I know you played rhinos in a team tournament when you broke the metagame, but like, what about like in the abstract, like which one do you think you would pull the trigger on more? If you had to pull the trigger, like let's say to play a hundred tournaments simultaneously at once, which one are you putting the button of living in or rhinos? Uh, well, one of them is a teamer deck. So I guess they're both teamer decks. Uh, true. <laughs> I, here's the thing. Grief is a heck of a, a magic card, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just probably would prefer the gameplay of Rhinos. The thing is, is we kind of talked about this uh, you, last time you and I did the show alone together, where you threw me right under the bus about learning mirror matches, talking about mm-hmm. the living in mirror match. 
And let mm-hmm. me tell you how many games of Living End I've played since that discussion, Mason. And it rhymes with Shiro. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not a lot. I think Living End's nice. I don't know. One, I will say this. I think if I had to play 100 tournaments, I like the idea of Rhinos and more. But, like, if 100 but tournaments are the right weekend, with Living End? Yeah, you're going to yeah. win a lot of terms with Living End. You're going to top it a lot of terms with Rhinos. I agree with that. And I think that's a big distinction. Let's talk about it that I'm kind of surprised is still top eighting. Wow, I did not know that's how you felt about this deck. Uh, I'm excited. So I want to talk about Yogg coming in with 23 points. I, I'm actually just kidding. I think this deck okay. is, is cool. But I do, I do have questions for you, Mason. Mm-hmm. We, somebody finally did the thing. Somebody finally played the Grazer halfling mm-hmm. version to top eight a challenge. How did it, yeah. you think you and Jerry should feel inside your souls now? I just, I trusted Zerk. You know, Zerk did it one time. And the thing about Zerk, the Yogg one trick, is he just always plays Yogg differently every weekend. And when you do it different every weekend, you're going to eventually hit the masterpiece and then mess it up. And someone else who's also a genius realized, oh, wow, that's broken. That being said, I'm maybe playing this deck in the uh, Winter Ragavan this weekend. I plan to not play Grazers. But that's because of Agatha Soul Cauldron. Things changed. But I, I do like the Grazer Delight Halfling. I think it's nice. I think that stuff is pretty strong. Uh, I did not put together the fact that you might be playing... What does Zerk's list look like? He just top-aided a challenge with this. I, I'm playing very similar to Zerk's list. I have like one card different, I think. She has Necromancy, so I'm just not going to play that in real life. Yeah, I have like a you're, not, you're not a psychopath? Uh, I, I think Necromancy is fine. It's just like, I think it's very much a magical online thing where people gravitate towards like specific decks, and he's like hard targeting decks. And I'm just trying to have a more open thing for this open qualifier in Vegas. You know, so. Uh, this, know. Is, this is hot. Have you Fulminator Mage with Agatha Soul Cauldron, by the way? All your creatures of the counters become <laughs> Fulminator Mage? It's nice. <laughs> I've blown up some Tron Dude, lands and some. There was. <laughs> I, I have a fun Fulminator Mage story where mm-hmm. we were debating what cards to play in sideboard slots at, for the team tournament. And. Uh, Fulminator Mage came up as like kind of this hot tech for multiple decks where it's like, wait a second, if you if you put a counter on like moving counters around, Fulminator Mage was like a real conversation about like getting to blow up multiple multiple lands. It was hot. It was hot. It's nice. It's a good card. Uh, about this deck though, I, I think that this deck has a lot of game this uh i was surprised to learn that apparently it is not universally believed that this is the worst matchup for creativity i think that it's creativity's worst matchup but apparently that's not a common belief mm-hmm. i guess i got the soul cauldron might, might, might make me change the tune on this deck quite a bit i had not considered that in this deck i mentioned it during the pick two man come on come i don't on. i don't I don't listen to you, man. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, that's just true. No, but, you know, Agatha's so called. So Agatha, the thing about Agatha's, though, that is, I think, really important to notice and try and understand is that one of Yogg's main problems, and part of the reason that it has, like, a struggling four-color matchup is that it has eight really good cards. It has four Grist, four Yogg-Moth, and those cards are good. They are very, very strong. Surprisingly, Modern Horizon cards, who knew? But... Those cards can really carry games on their own. And there are some games you have to win where you don't have them where they get answered. And Agatha's Soul Cauldron turns basically all of your creatures 
into those once they're answered, which means that you actually have like some redundancy in your threats and it opens up whole new lines and whole new combos, right? So for example, Walking Ballista is a card that you're seeing a lot of one of in the decks now, because now you can Ag- you can Agathos the Walking Ballista and then put your counter on your Young Wolf, right? Have a Blood Earth in play, remove the counter, kill the Young Wolf, it comes back, you shoot your the Young Wolf a million times, they die. And Walking Ballista is just not a weak card and your deck full of mana dorks. So you can just play it and it like lines up like if you think Bowmaster is good against things with one toughness, Walking Ballista is, is like basically a bad version of that at X's two and a better version at higher things, right? So that is something that like this deck gained access to. So its card quality went up a lot. And if you notice, Zerk's like down to I think two Strangler guys, four Young Wolf, and just has like a bunch of good cards. And is I think jokingly calling the deck on Twitter like Black Green Toolbox. And like it's just you know playing a mid range game that has a combo finish. And that's the thing that's really appealing to me about this deck. You are like finally a real mid range deck with a combo. And Young Wolf is the best it's ever been in modern. I dunk on that card a lot, but it is surprisingly well positioned. And like that is just nice. Like just blocking a Fury for a turn and getting it back to set up time for your Grist or like Stonewalling Ragavans or, you know, blocking Hammer type things or being part of a combo. These are all really, really good things. So. I think this deck is a little underappreciated. I think it is very, very hard to play um, at like the highest level. It's like you can cruise pretty easily, but like to play it at the peak is very hard. And I think players are going to be picking this deck up more and more as Agatha Soul Cauldron comes because turns all your creatures into Grist, into Yawgmoth, turns them into Haywire Might Spencer. I watched TJ, the guy that uh, got second at Apex, Haywire Might against uh, Hammer, and I was like, oh lord, that's brutal. You know, turns them all into Wall of Roots, which is really crazy, right? Like, suddenly your things now generate mana, like, instantaneously. And there's a lot of weird things it does. Like, all your creatures become halflings, they all become ignobles. So, it is like, we're just cracking the surface on what you can do. And like I mentioned, right, like, I put Fulminator Mage in my deck. I'm like a Quarter Calling deck or whatever, and like an Eldritch Evolution deck. I can find that, and then against those decks, I have, like, a billion fulminator mages that like really changes things. Is that maybe the right thing to do? I don't know. We're all figuring it out still, but like that is a whole new element to this deck. And now the deck has so many more power cards. I do remember what it was, by the way, it was scam with fulminator mage. You give your fulminator mage. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I was just kidding about Yogg being bad. I, I just, the mm-hmm. deck, uh, the deck beats my favorite deck. So it, mm-hmm. that's, that's all I was saying. Uh, I no, you're good. I'm just, I do want to talk about the next deck because I found one of the notes that I have on this is that 100% of this deck was actually a Cabal Coffers deck, and that's Mono Black coming with one more point at 24. Mm-hmm. But there's not like the Mono Black mid-range. There's not like the Mono Black control. They're all Coffers decks. 100% of them are Coffers, Mason. And that is kind of different than what we were seeing just a month ago. Um, where there were like three different versions. Um, I think the Field of the Dead version and the Coffers version kind of just like did a fusion dance and they're like, hey, this is it. But mm-hmm. um, I will also say this. Uh, I, I sent the power rankings to Matt and Quentin today, uh, the two people that I played the most magic with, and their responses were very much like, oh yeah, this is aligned with what we see in the challenges, except for uh the the deck that we'll talk about next but the thing that i said is i said this in our in our patreon discord that mono black coffers has to be the most popular deck i've ever seen in magic ever uh i don't know if you like have jumped in a league mason but 
Holy freaking crap. This this deck sees a lot of play. And I actually think fourth place at 24 points is underperforming for this deck a lot for how much you will see it in a challenge or how much you will see it in a in a league. I, I worry a little bit about tying its strength to league stuff just because leagues are sort of like a lot of people experiment with stuff. You know what I mean? I, I, I was very interesting. I don't know if you listened to the JRT podcast this week, but Dave Shields like said, I bet you most of your opponents are in their first five games when you play against them. Cause I, I think what he was hinting at is this deck is very cool. And I, I agree with that. I think this deck is super cool. I mean, this is sort of a thing that people like when I first started playing Maddox, they're like, Oh yeah. Mono black control back in the day. It was so sick. I'm always trying to recapture that high. And this is that deck. And that is awesome for those people. And I think it is like a fine deck, maybe a little underpowered some weekends, overpowered others. Uh, it has some strengths so we can talk about in a second. But I do think this deck is like got something going on. And I, you know, I think being a really good Bowmaster Shielded Ring deck is just a strong place to be and Absolutely. really strong in the mirrors. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely taken all the places of like those blue black decks that people mm-hmm. play against things like that. I'm just saying, like, I would be careful being like, oh, this deck I really like got fourth in the CCMTG power mm-hmm. rankings that 10 decks. Yes. And it's like, yeah, it did. It's a good deck, but like, it's, it's probably the most played deck by a little bit of a margin right now because everybody is so hyped that like mono black is good again. And the fact that, you know, we'll get into some decks that like, legitimately have a ton of points mm-hmm. yeah i think one thing number two is that like for example I, first off whenever we do these shows unless a deck has like 50 more points than the other decks or whatever uh then like i just wouldn't i wouldn't care too too much about their actual ranking like if there's a delineation of a big jump then you should care in my opinion in a real way but like the difference between yog and mono black coffers is that doom wake one with coffers and had yeah. he lost, it would be below Yogg. Yeah. So, like, just keep in mind that one match of Magic is the reason we're saying it's the fourth instead of, like, maybe the fifth or sixth best. And, like, it, it's really about, like, the words and the reasons behind it. And I think, once again, there are good, like, Mono Black Conference probably has a good Yogg matchup. I actually have not played it. Everyone keeps talking about this deck. I see it on streams. I watch it a bunch. And then I never run into it. You've and never like, played wow, against Mono Black? I, I assume I can't win. Or, like, playing Yogg. Like I, it's just like I'm trying to draw cards. And they have Bowmaster and Shieldred, and I try to assemble a creature kill combo. And they've got the you know kill spells. Although Cauldron does do a lot to fix that. I don't but, think that I've seen a single person between me, Matt, and Quentin uh, play a league without running into coffers. And I certainly um, don't think that we played a challenge without running into coffers either. Yeah, I haven't played against them like literally a month. That's crazy. Yeah, I, get, I just I'm just, I'm the highest side of variance. Uh, no, I I think this deck has a lot going for it. One thing that's really nice, one thing that it kind of has a problem with is that it is a lot better when it draws coffers. Um, it's got like the Nykthos problem that way. One, I think that one of the things that's nice about it is that because it's a ring deck, it can kind of afford to have that problem. Like it gets to play like this Thought the Thoughtseize mid-range game plan with like Orcus Bowmasters and Sheldred until it draws a ring. And go from there with like Karn, but the the games where it has coffers, it is a lot better. Um, trying to think if there's any. Uh, oh, and then one other thing that I like about it is it doesn't dedicate its entire sideboard every time to 
There, there are some that have, you know, 20 card or 20 that have like, you know, 11 plus cards. But usually it's like, you know, I think the, li the list from, for example, the face to face, the one that I have up uh, that has two Jurox and two break the ice. And you're probably you mean you're dedicated to Karn. Yeah, dedicated Karn. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but like I, I assume that there are some number of the time where you're still boarding in some of those other pieces. Um, so you're not like all in the way that that other decks are dedicated to their garden sideboard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just you, know, you don't have stuff you want to wish for, right? Like any other cards you want to play. It's pretty reasonable. I think people in high power formats often don't play smaller Karn wish boards. Um, in Pioneer, though, it ain't, it ain't worth it. But you know, here it's like, yeah, you know, there's strong cards you can sideboard. Like you can play them; it's fine. Well, let's talk about the next deck. It does. We finally do get a jump in points. All of these have been kind of really small jumps in points, deck by deck by deck by deck, for the most part. Um, the, we do get a full tournament win level above the next deck here with Amulet coming with 30 points. And when showed this to my friends, uh, one of my friends responded that he thinks this might be the most overperforming deck compared to how much it's played the opposite of coffers where like this deck does not see a lot of magic online play for for a lot of reasons um kind of a tough one to play on magic online kind of a tough one to pick up for a lot of people uh, i think that that barrier is a little bit more broken than it was a few years ago um and i think the ring helps even break that barrier even a little bit more but uh yeah i would say that this is one of the the less the least popular like other than titan shift i would guess that the like if we were to order these decks by how much they're played on magic online i would say this is the second least yeah a amulet it it is hard to play right um and it is hard to play normally and it's hard to play on magic online and it will just kind of get you sometimes i think the deck is good and i i think like there's a lot of people on moto who are like amulet one tricks you know and like i mean that not in a derogatory way i just mean like they play amulet all the time they've mastered Am amulets in a good spot right now we're talking about turn two the one rings in some situations right turn three pretty consistently that is good um and like this deck uh has some really strong power to it and has some pretty good matchups it, it's really polarizing uh here like burn used to be a really good matchup with radiant fountain if you have that it's great or whatever um you're faster than most of the other decks. So like Titan ships average draws faster than you, but you can go faster than them. You're really good against the Omnath decks. Um, your Yawgmoth matchup is kind of a race. So like, and then a bunch of other decks that aren't on our list, you're kind of like pretty good against. And that has a lot of merit to it. And I think that's the thing to keep in mind too about modern is like, we're talking about like 10 decks here today, but there are like 15 to 20 decks that are like, real choices that you should not be surprised that they win your RCQ or you're seeing them at your RCQ at like the minimum. And so having game against those and also sort of the chaff with like the decks that like are a little bit more sketchy is really good. And Amulet does that, but just being a powerful proactive deck that can turn to anyone. I, you know, I don't care how bad your matchup is. You have like a 4% chance just to win, you know, and you just combo them and they die and you win. So that's nice. There were 24 decks that got points using top 16s. And I think mm -hmm. it would have possibly gone to like 30 decks or more using top 32s. Um, mm -hmm. Just just to kind of add on to what Mason's saying about we're talking about 10 decks and that's 
that's less than half of the decks that that we that we could have talked about that got points in the power rankings in these mm-hmm. two hundred plus person modern events these days. I, I think Amulet's in a really good place. Um, I, I, I like what you said about the Titan Shift thing because it's like an interesting question. Because uh, we talked about coffers, we talked about Titan Shift, we've mentioned Tron. It's like, what big mana thing do you want to do? What what's the most reasonable thing to do? You have one side of coffers, right? That's like this mid rangey version. That's like, well, I'll just bleed like a Nykthos deck, and then if I draw my Nykthos, then I'm good. Then you've got like the uh, ramp version in Titan Shift. That's like, okay, well, I'm just gonna have a wish package that's a little bit different and just try to kill you consistently on the same turn every game. Then you've got this weird one. Then you've got uh, Tron, which is just Tron. I don't think that there's another way to describe it. It's like a control deck that gets to play. Has a lot of mana. Yeah, that just has a lot of mana. And then you have Amulet, which is different than all of them. And also, I think has wild different builds uh, through metagames and through things. And it's it's interesting to see that because like Tron Tron can change what? Like eight cards? 15 cards? Maybe. Max. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Titan Shift is changing a lot more cards these days, but that's because it has to, to adapt. Uh, yeah. And then Coffers is a new deck. The big mana decks are interesting because they also have to fight each other. And I do think that Amulet, like if I was going to pick, you told me everybody's showing up with big mana, what do you want to play? I, I would play Amulet. Like, I, I do think that Titan Shift has like an argument because it has a good Tron matchup. I'm sure it has a good Yogg matchup or you know, a Yogg monoblock matchup. But Amulet is the one that like, now if we're not interacting, my mulligans are going to be busted. Like they're going to be so good. And I think that that gives this deck I think that's why it has the edge over something like Coffers. Yeah, I, I, I love what you said there. I agree. I also think that, like, to your point about, like, changing cards, a lot of these decks are locked into one or maybe two colors, right? Like, Titan Shift is a uh, green-red deck, but, like, doesn't often really play a lot of cards. Like, there's not a lot of things that can shift matchups in those departments, right? No. And, like, Tron's colorless, right? Mono-black Coffers, spoilers is mono-black. Amulet has access to all five colors, and we see people like Dom Harvey mistaken in on uh, magic online experiment with what you're supposed to be doing. And like, you know, sometimes it's swan song. Sometimes, you know, it's fluster. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, my brain's breaking, but you know, insert a tech card rooks or whatever from the old days. Right. There's just a lot of different things you can do and you can adapt to sort of what's going on in a much better way. Cause when you have all this mana, you also have access to a lot of cards that are different, right? Everyone else is playing with like outside of the Omnath decks. They're playing with a low amount of mana, uh, you know, by turn five, you know, like even coffers kind of needs a lot of swamps to really turn on. And then if it gets herb or coffers, it just goes to the moon or whatever. But like, basically you just get to do a lot of different things. And that's, I think really powerful. And your deck is t- typically the way you build it is all tutorable. Once you get a Titan, you basically have every card in your deck in your hand. And one of the cool things about this deck is, you know, we've seen players experiment with like cutting dryads, cutting Azusa's playing explorers, right? Like, while I think Dryad is a really strong card and I would have a hard time cutting it, I think on Magic Online, where like metagames are different, you can maybe do stuff like that and play a bunch of explore effects 
and just be like, no, your spot removal doesn't really matter. I'm just going to chain Titans and I'm going to just bop, 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 kill you. Yeah. And also if I have two amulets, this is broken. This is better than Seething Song. Go. You know, and it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I to add to your point, I was thinking about uh, different cards that I could buy for Titan and like pick up Titan again because two second places in challenges, that's nothing to shake a tail feather at. Like that's that's like a legitimate contender in the format for the time being. And mm-hmm. uh, Acid Moss like was in my brain. And like, <laughs> think about the difference here. Like, you're talking about any cards you want in Titan in in Amulet Titan, and I'm thinking about putting an Acid Moss in my deck to wish for. No, I, I legit think that's true. And this is the thing that I was said to me by well, not to me, but on the podcast by Brian Gottlieb. But I'll, I'll say it now, and hopefully it helps someone else out. Long time ago, before I was esports, I w- used to play decks over and around, and someone told me, and I still think this is true. Amulet Titan is one of the few decks that the more time you put into it, the more you get out of it in a very real way. If you do coaching with me, you hear me say like your 200th game of like scam is not giving you the same returns that, you know, your 30th game does in a very real way. And you should be diversifying your practice and trying new things and doing different stuff. Amulet is one of those decks where the more you play it, you get a lot more out of it. It does eventually hit diminishing returns, but that deck is really good. And if you think you are a good combo player, this deck has proven to be really reasonable throughout all of modern history, basically right now. Uh, and is something that like, if you like it, you can pick it up, play it, and you will do well. You will lose a lot early on as you figure things out, but that's okay. Cause the more time you put in, the more you get out of it. And case in points, Dom Harvey crush it he's been crushing it online crush it at the pro tour and all these spots where scam and other bad decks are very popular and just continuously proves like if you master this deck you can succeed all right let's talk about a real jump and we talked about this people probably knew this was coming 51 points all of them combined omnath decks okay i i have to mention this on the show 75 is an interesting number to get to and i want to say why <laughs> i gotta talk about this one, we already have infinite data on 80 cards. So why just 75? Also, why not 74? Why not 73? Like, why did we get there? I just, I like, especially, it seems like so much more work than just going to 80 and just already knowing that, like, the man is good. I don't know. I, I assume it's because you just don't have cards you want to play. Like, I had a lot not of enough flex- good stuff. Yeah, like, for example, you don't want to play a lot of cards, right? Like that is you don't. You, no, I I agree yeah. with that. But like and, the and, thing is, is you also have to avoid decking yourself with beanstalk. Yeah, and that. So, I this is part of my problem with the. So this is, this is I'm going to get a lot of a, a lot of flack for this. Should we should we talk about the different versions before we dive too far into the 75? Maybe. Sure. Yeah. I I I mean I'm not I was going to talk about the 75 deck. It was kind of I think a flash in the pan. I don't think I think like having a few extra cards is good. But 75 to me, I, I would be very surprised if it's right. Yorion subsidized your deck a lot for being 80 cards. And I do not think Beanstalk is good enough to make your deck 75 cards. You know, that, that's what I say on that. We can talk about it more if you want, but that's like my, my sound. No, I, so there were things that made sense with Beanstalk being 75 to me. Well, no, it didn't. 75 just seemed like an arbitrary number to me. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, I could see, though, I think there was another one that was 66 over mm-hmm. the. The the yeah recently I can for beanstalks to extra lands yeah I can see wanting more cards because you draw a lot of cards with beanstalk and you're just like mm-hmm. no I actually am a real threat of decking myself I need both to play extra cards and I probably need 
like uh like an endurance in my deck to endurance myself like but i i still think that you end up in a place where it's like well why don't you just play the endurance as the main and make sure that you don't deck yourself i like what you said there about like 66 cards like I find it hard to believe 75 is the number just because it's so much more. And like, remember for every time you go up spells, you have to go up a land too, right? It's not like you just get to go up spells. I, I think a good shorthand might be like two spells, one land is a way to think about it. Right. Like I used to say like Yorion, I got like 12 free spells in my deck and I had eight more fetch lands or whatever. I think that was the joke I would tell people, um, which is like, you know, you know, this in that situation, not even true. Like the scale, it's like higher regardless. I think the reason to have more cards in your deck is because you do draw so many cards. And if you just made your deck 60 cards, eight of your card slots would be dedicated to just drawing cards and drawing cards to draw cards doesn't actually get you anywhere. Right. And actually leads to more decking. So you have to have interaction, but, and the beanstalk is pretty good. I just don't know. Like, do we have to play four of the bean? Like, does it have to be this way? I just find it very hard to believe that, that is the optimal thing. It I, could be. I'm, but, a, you know. I'm a pretty big believer that like four cantrips equals about a land, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna just you know read off a deck list really quick to, to talk about this, and then and then I'll be done with this. Uh, so we have four ice fang quaddle. Those draw a card. One endurance. That one doesn't. Two eternal witness. That one doesn't. Four omnath. I wouldn't consider that a cantrip. It's a little expensive. Uh, one fury. Four solitude. Four ren six. Uh, four to fairy wouldn't consider those lands. In fact, I would say that because you're a run six deck, you probably need to hit your land ups pretty early. Um, you have a lot of fetches. Yeah, uh, two so ephemerate. one land fetch run six is like a perfect hand. You t- you keep that plus four cards every time. Uh, so. Three three lightning bolt, two otherworldly light, four prismatic means four counter spells, one Eldamari's call. You have four expressive iterations. Another one that demands that you hit your land drops, but also lets you play less lands. Four abundant growth <laughs> and two dress downs. Uh, do you know this deck list, Mason? No, I I did not know that they played expressive iteration because it is no, not. This a, is a your draw, this is, is your deck list. Oh, this is my deck list from back. It's in the also day? got oh, a okay. companion named Yorion. Okay, I thought you were reading a, a beanstalk no, deck list and we hadn't no, got to the bean and the ring. No. I thought you were like, and then they have those. No. I was like, you cannot play bean ring and expressive. No. You just well, cannot do is, all of that. My point <laughs> is, is that this eighty land, this eighty card deck played thirty lands. Mm-hmm. 30 lands. And for what it's worth, I think you can count Eternal Witness and uh, Omnath as one land because together they generate like kind of enough sure. mana. You know what I mean? Like e- Eternal Witness is Ren Six at home would be the joke I say a bunch, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, I don't know. It, my my point uh, is, my point is, is that like you in this deck were playing 30 lands in your 80 card deck with mm-hmm. four expressive iterations, four abundant growths, uh, like Ren and Six, Ice and Quaddle, like trying very hard to hit your land drop still. And mm-hmm. to me, the the 75 list did not do that. And the six, like none of the other lists seem to do that the way that you need to for the number of colors of spells you're trying to play. Yeah. And that, that sounds like it was before Leyland Binding 2 on yours, where like you have more triomes. Yeah, this was uh, this was literally Dream Act Dallas. This was your This was Dream Act Dallas. Okay, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh that's right, yeah, dress down. Ooh, so smart. God, that was good. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I wasn't trying to stroke your ego. I was trying to prove a point about man. You succeeded though. I, uh, anyway, <laughs> anyways, I, I just, I, it is hard to have a lot of cards that just cantrip and don't do anything, right? Like, if you'll notice, a lot of the cards Spencer mentioned on cantripping, like Ice Fang Quaddle was like basically a Ragavan hate card, but also in the late game was like a uh, a kill spell. 
you very often just flash it in, eat something in combat, and call Diver it a day. Style. Yeah, and you can just hold up your... And you also need something to hold up your counter spells with. Your Ren and Sixes won the game or killed one drops, you know? Like, you had a lot of modality. And I understand, yeah, they're still playing Ren and Six. They're still doing some of these things. But having just eight cards that draw cards, you, you have to have more cards in your deck. But it makes me think, is that actually worth it? Could I just play, like, four rings and a couple beans? Like, do I actually need to have eight of these card draw things and just like have all the cards all the time. I don't think I need that to beat the decks I'm trying to beat. That said, I have been sort of a Omnath avoider recently, even though despite it doing very well, um, I've been playing a deck that I think is better than it for a little while now. And I considered Omnath for the Ragavan Invitational and I might just, you know, take it anyways, because I do like the deck. And I do think it is pretty good, but you won't catch me. I think with like 75 cards for being for ring, you know, I'm probably going in there with like, four rings and a bean, or maybe two beans. So I, I do actually have an opinion on which of these versions uh, mm-hmm. I would be interested in playing. Uh, it is, in fact, the Blurring to Light version. Uh, between Time Warp, the ring, uh, up the, the beanstalk, um, it lets you play a lot, like, uh, and Velky for what it's worth. Uh, it lets you do a lot of interesting things. Play that kind of game that the deck like Mason was playing with the where you like have some tutorable things. It, uh, it actually makes a ton of sense, but we've never had I don't know the right things for that to work. And up the beanstalk, while it does not help your good matchups, I think that it makes things like bring to light more interesting to make that help your bad matchups. Whereas mm-hmm. I don't think that it was doing that before. So if it were up mm-hmm. to me, and you were like, gun to your head, Spencer, what version of this deck are you playing? One, I get to play Elishnorn as a one-of and have it really be a three-of, which is like one of the best cards in the whole deck. Uh, I get to play Wrath of X. I get to play a Time Warp. I, I, I actually knew that this version of the deck has legs, and it saw in the same tournament multiple people doing well with the same list. Uh, I think one just missed out on top of it. This one took seventh uh, just this last weekend. Um, this would be where I'm at, Mason. Yeah, I, I, I like the bring the light stuff. I think you mentioned a lot of great points there. And I think one thing I really like about it as well is like... That it's 60 cards. It, yeah, it's 60 <laughs> cards, which is nice. But like you mentioned, right, like having things like a Wrath is really good. Like Time Warp is like actually kind of strong and the original versions of Four Color played Eternal Witness uh, Femrate Time Warp as like a win condition because the secret mode is... Ren and six plus time warp is game and like actually having a way to win with your Ren and six is good. And your deck has so many passive like card advantage things that if you just take another turn, like if I go the ring, draw a card, you know, take one, draw two, play time warp, pretend I don't have been, you know, draw three or whatever. Like that's a lot of cards and gives me a lot of time. And that's assuming I don't have any planeswalkers going or anything else going on. And that's like actually kind of nice as a one of, and it's like a one of that wins the game for you in a way that like, you do need to win the game with the four color decks. That has been my biggest problem since losing Yorion. It used to be you could just trade resources and then play a four or five, and you're like, uh, surprise, I was Delver all along. Four, 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 you're dead. And like, you don't get to do that anymore. So I don't know. Like, the, the aspect of Bring the Light does let you actually win games, which is important. Like, having Valky, like you mentioned, is important. So I, I like it. Uh, coming with 49 or 39 more points. In first place is scam. 
That's 90 points in case you forgot from a bit ago. 90 points. You could take their second and third place deck and combine them and you would not reach first place. Wow. The scam. What do you think, Spencer? Uh, I'm actually pretty impressed. I, I think that Omnath and Coffers actually represent a large amount of played decks on Magic Online. So, like, the see that and still see scam with 90 points is actually a pretty big deal. Like, I, I'm talking about a lot. Like, I think that Mono Black and Omnath make up a pretty huge percentage of the played decks for these events. I don't like calling for bans or anything, so I wouldn't do that. Uh, but I would not be... I don't... The problem is that I don't think scam's a problem. Like... Good players are winning with a good deck, and I just don't think that's a problem. I don't really know how to explain it outside of that. I guess, because what you're addressing, like a lot of people are complaining about scam, right? And I guess oh, the, yeah. the question that they, they, they would ask. And ask anybody about scam. They want Fable Band. They want Grief Band. Grief, grief Band is like the most common one you hear. But Yeah, because turn one grief is like such, is the, the problem. So I guess... That is my question to you for the surrogate for the listeners. I'm sure a lot of them are hearing you say this and they're like, okay, but what am I supposed to do to stop turn one grief? Like double grief specifically. I, just, I, just, I don't know. I, I, it's hard, right? Because like Mason's of the, the opinion that you just like mulligan to that kind of crap. And I go to four all the time and have a very high win rate with scam. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that's the answer. I don't. I, I've, I have played with, against, and watched a ton of i'm watching a lot more magic than i used to because of uh, our our conversation with nathan and mm-hmm. i just have a hard time believing one i i do think this is the best deck i i don't i'm not questioning that i the the question becomes like is there is there is it because there's no counterplay to this specific thing that we have to address it the thing is, Scam didn't just used to be like grief you. Like it also was like, you know, turn two blood, turn one blood moon, or turn two blood, you know, whatever, because of Ragavan and stuff. And Bowmasters gave this deck uh, the card quality to make it so annoying. I don't know, man. I don't like calling for bands, and I actually think Modern's like in a really good place, so it's hard. But like. Obviously, it. I don't. I don't like banning grief when like it's not even like it's probably not in the top ten. Yeah, that's probably not true. It's not in the top five cards in modern. Why are we banning a card that's like? I mean, it is the problem card. But mm-hmm. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I am very sympathetic to everyone that does not have a lot of fun playing against the scam deck. Right when you're when you mulligan to six or whatever, and your opponent kept seven, and they go turn one grief you, and they take your force negation, and then you then cast your spell because that's how it works, and you get it back, and you take the other best thing, you know that is a very uh, emotional and feels bad, and I am sympathetic to you did not have a lot of fun, um, and I understand not enjoying that. That being said, I do think that there's a few things that jump out to my mind when people talk about the bands and also talk about sort of this in general, right? The first is like, one, there's always going to be a best deck. And those best decks often have some way to kind of bingo you, right? They have some Parmesan, some cheese, 
grief just happens on the first turn is very hard to interact with and yes there are things like subtlety yes there are things like solitude yes there are things like ley line of the void uh post board but even then those don't solve the problem a lot of the time they often just delay it um so and also like they just don't have to go for it in the case of ley line sometimes they can just hard cast their grief so like i'm sympathetic to like it feels like there's nothing you can do i think scam is sort of actually like a stompy deck spencer to like use legacy terminology i think you get on board quickly your first two to your first one to three turns matter a lot you develop a lot of pressure and you can backdoor yourself into like you can play a mid-rangey game but you can't play a mid-rangey game against other mid-range decks and i think you know strong scam players really overperform this deck because they understand like i need to like capitalize on my early turns i have to mulligan i have to get the snowball going and it, that's why the games feel so bad for players because they lose so quickly. Um, but like it is also you have to put cards like Not Dead After All, Fame Death in your deck, which are not particularly the best cards. And there are things you can do from a strategic standpoint to attack this, right? I think Rhinos is like pretty good against Scam. Um, it's not great or anything like that, but like having a bunch of subtleties makes a difference. Omnath is good against Scam. Um, it is hard, obviously, to like switch decks. Like I mentioned earlier in the show, I, it's hard for me to be like, hey just buy a two thousand dollar deck like i don't expect you to do that but like i do think there are things you can do what did you, and what did you I, say was good against it I, I like omnath against it and then i think the rhinos deck theoretically you could put a bunch of subtleties in your main deck to help um i don't know if but that's worth that it works. versus the game yeah so like yeah <laughs> oh like looking at the data order. oh sure yeah <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, if you like your opponent, like, for example, Spencer's playing against me, right? Spencer knows I'm mulligan a lot. She keeps a, a subtlety hand that's also pretty reasonable. I'm mulligan to five looking for a strong start. And then, you know, I go for the turn one even fury. <laughs> yeah, and I, he subtleties me. Unless I like have it actually rolled up with another two things in hand, like left over, it's like, oh, I'm just dead. You're just, I, I have to have another like red card or black yeah. card in the undying. It, so, like, it, it turns, it, I think one of the things that has happened, uh, I'm going to say this, and I have another point. Is that, that Pitch Elementals have turned Modern into Legacy from a few years ago, and I think people aren't used to that kind of decision-making power. And so they have a problem with that. They're like, like listen, I you think this is bad. Like, play against freaking Reanimator from a couple years ago, where you, have, you actually have zero game, like nothing matters other than your opponent's opening hand. Like, I promise. That like, didn't get banned either. Like, that just exists still. Um, yeah, poor soul of days is, you know, surgical, holding the doors down. Yeah, I mean, and, mm-hmm. you know, if they're on the play, you better have a force in your hand. Uh, I also, I gotta say really quick, I love that Reanimator that also work, plays the scam. They just play, they play the stupid Praetor. Well, yeah, sometimes they do. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to me that Reanimator reanimator plays grief now to clear the way but also sometimes you just like mulligan to six and you're like oh i have a turn one double grief that's pretty good yeah that's very funny to me <laughs> yeah we, we were talking about that the other day that's actually gonna go against my point though my point my point is though that like uh your decisions matter a lot more in modern now which to me has made the format better that means like your mulligan decisions matter mason's talking about mulliganing to five a lot you guys have four. heard me talk about it four. Yeah. You guys have talked to me, heard me talk about the number of times that I mulligan in this format. And it is, it's so different because we just came off a of pioneer season. So you're used to the play draw being the most important thing and you need to get a good hand and like all your decks have pretty good mulligan to sixes. So you don't really need to go other than, you know, 
the best deck in the format, which goes down to freaking four all the time too. Uh, <laughs> I'm sponsored like, by Wendy's, baby. The four for four. <laughs> I didn't. I, as I was saying, I was like, well, I guess Monogreen actually goes down to four a bunch. But the the point is, is like you have to be you have to make those hard decisions, and you have to do it knowing with an understanding of what's coming from the other side. And so, like, if you like the number of times where we're in a challenge match, whether it's me playing, whether it's Matt playing, whether it's Quinn playing, and we're like, okay, what about this hand? Well, what if I get griefed? Okay. Well, what if you get griefed? Well, is this hand dead to grief? Is it like, that's a thing you can consider. And it's like, okay, but like, should that be a tax on the format? I don't know. That's a different question, but I will say this looking at the data, of decks that have over 200 plus matches with grief grief only has one deck in the green which means 55 or better only one it's monogreen tron it dunks on that deck every other deck is 50 is is less than 55 and only two of them are positive outside of that it is very much a jun style deck it very much is a yeah, it can it can do what Mason says, right? Like it can mold the four and beat you. But that's just a sign of a good modern deck now. Like that's just the new the new world you're in. You need a mulligan more. Your mulligans are really good. They're really powerful. You see seven cards. So yeah, London Mulligan changes that a lot, and the card design changes it a lot. It is not just London; it is also the like cards that are does how they're designed and how they are made. So I, I do think people just don't mulligan enough. Um, I don't think I'm elegant enough, to be honest. I don't um, elegant enough. Yeah, and like it is just a thing you should be doing more. And if you're playing scam and you're having issues winning and you're listening to this podcast, it is probably because you are not mulliganing enough. If your seven card hand does not have a ragavan or a scam or a strong sideboard card, or if you're on the play against a big mana deck and you have Dothy and a discard spell, you should dis- you should like mulligan it. I don't care how medium your hand looks. You're like, oh, I have thoughts using the Bowmaster and the Fable. That's not good enough. That's not good enough to win games in modern. It, it can win some, but not consistently. Just go to six. And if you're down a card and you scam somebody, you're just so far ahead. We have Ragavan into protection. That that is how you win games. I actually think that like if you're wondering like how do I get better at this type of decision making, you should play a deck that like needs to mulligan a lot to win. So like maybe pick up creativity or something. Maybe pick up uh Scam. Yeah, I mean, yeah, scam. That's a good no. It's true. Like creativity, yeah. scam. Like if you're playing, I mean, there are players that like are still in their like blue white control, blue black control. Like that's not what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, it is in there. There's a lot of people that believe like if you don't have a spell pierce or uh, one drop into protection with Murkdai, you should move again. But like. Maybe maybe the truth is develop those kind of rules for your deck. Like, what are the rules for mulliganing for your deck, and why are they the rules? And make that we've talked about rules of engagement for like large formats, but you also have rules of engagement for your deck. Why does your deck pass the rules of engagement for the format? And if you're not doing that with your opening hand, why are you keeping it? I think it's also a huge sign for like a way to improve against your opponents or like to learn, right? Like let's say you're playing against me, right? And you've listened to the podcast. You're like, Oh wow. I get to play against Mason. And I keep a seven card hand, right? With scam. 
and I don't turn one do anything super strong. There's probably something like let's say it's game two. I know your deck you're on. I probably kept some card or have something right. that is good against you. My deck is only so big. You might be playing a graveyard deck, and you're like, hmm, I could shock in my thing and leave up this kill spell for Dothy, or I can enter tapped. I guess I should probably shock to play around Dothy, and then you get to like kill Dothy and then like snowball the game, right? right. And I like I kept a hand because it did that thing. Your opponents are logical people who make rational decisions. You know, just assume they know what's up until they prove you wrong. Lots of times, if someone makes one mistake, I don't like suddenly start like making crazy lines. They need to like run their face into a wall like ten times, and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to start playing differently because you should just assume your opponents know what's up and they're making logical decisions. This is what Nathan Sawyer sits there and you watch him play. He's thinking about why would my opponent have this hand? Why would they do this thing? They're a smart person. What's going on? You know, same thing here. That's going to do it for the power rankings. Those are the 10 decks that you should care about right now going into your RC. Mason, what would you play and why? This is tough. I definitely would suggest Scam. I think Scam is the best deck right now. I think it's very good. I think Yogg might be near Scam now and like how good it is. I am a big believer in Agatha Soul Cauldron. I am not big enough to tell you that you should play it over Scam. And I have Scam in my bag and I have uh, Yogg in my bag. And I'm going to, you know, make the last second judgment call or whatever. But I think both those decks are really, really good. And I think Yogg is just really hard, but I think the Soul Cauldron stuff is super strong. I think every deck we talked about except for Burn and Titan Shift, I would be like, yeah, play that in your RCQ. You can probably win. Um, but if I had to, like, pick a deck for me to play in 100 tournaments, it's going to be Scam. But, you know, in my heart, I'm like, dang, Yogg might have been the secret choice. It's kind of great. Yeah, I, I think for what it's worth that I am all of these decks are reasonable at this time of recording except for burn um I think Titan shift I think Titan shift has an amulet Titan problem for what it's worth uh which I think it is why Mace probably doesn't include it I have a Murktad problem too yeah Murktad Ryan knows all those decks I think it has issues with sure but, yeah uh, right I can see believe Ryan is too uh I I think I convinced myself during this podcast. I, I would play Bring Delight on that. I don't know what happened from the start of this podcast to, to now. Like, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think that's where my head, my head is at. But I, I, I just think that there's so many good decks. Like we didn't get to talk about some of the, like the newcomers speaking of cauldron, like the, the green, white, uh, combo deck, the, mm -hmm. like the Heliod. Yeah, the Heliod deck. Like, there's so many good new decks. Weird. WoW was powerful. WoW, or WoW, sorry. WoW was powerful. WoW changed modern. Uh, it changed standard. I think it'll change Pioneer. Uh, it's a it's a sweet set with lots of good, really good cards. Uh, but yeah, I, I would play I would play Bring to Light Omnath. For the reasons that we talked about, um, I think that Bring to Light actually does help your bad matchups. And Beanstalk slams the door on your good matchups. So, Patreon question from Nick says, and by the way, if you want to ask a Patreon question, become a patron of $5 or more. You join the Discord. You also get access to the Discord where you can ask a question like, Nick says, is there a way to fast-track mulligan decisions for another deck, for uh, for a deck other than jammy games? Uh, yeah, I I do this. We've talked about it on the, the podcast uh, it's a lot easier, like when you're with a bunch of people. But get on Discord call and just do it. Like talk about hands together. 
post hands in our discord post hands with your friends uh just talking about mulligan decisions is actually way easier and way faster than jamming games as long as you're getting to the why behind things not having an argument about like who's right but actually the the decision behind why and so we used to play a game that we actually stole from the e-team called sneak keeper ditch where you would either snap keep a hand like it's actually not a hard decision this is obviously keep keep a hand where it's like i would keep this but here's my caveat and then ditch where like there's no chance i'm keeping this and we would debate the keeps uh as a group like if everybody's ditching it's obvious everybody's sneaking it's obvious but like debating the keeps is like really fun mm-hmm. yeah i Nick, uh, I'm going to say something here, and this is true for like a lot of players. They th- think jamming games is like, and you're told kind of early on to just play a lot. It is often, if you have a question that is like, is there a better way to do it than jamming games? The answer is probably yes. Um, and I, I think mulliganing is the same thing. And I like what Spencer said about like getting a Discord call and doing that. But also maybe you don't have that situation or maybe your time to practice, you know, your friends are at work or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. You can just like, go to websites like Moxfield and load up, a, load up a deck and they have like a seven card hand button at the bottom you scroll down and you can just like look through those and you could screenshot them. Like I mentioned, you know, maybe you put them in the discord and your friends reply hours later while you're at work or when they wake up, you know, uh, however it is, but like you can do that. Also you can like uh, reflect internally. Right. And just think about like, should I be keeping these hands? What does it look like? And there's a lot of ways to do it. A lot of people do it where they like, they think like, Oh, I'm on seven cards and they click the mulligan. Like, okay, now I'm on six. Like, when I have the seven card hand, I'm like, okay, is this good as a seven? Is it good as a six? Is it good as a five? Could I good would I go to four? Like asking yourself those questions and really being reflective and having a why, like Spencer said, right? Like the why matters way more than the answer does, right? Because you understanding sort of what's going on is what matters. And I know that that's really hard for some players and it's hard to figure out exactly what matters, but just start asking yourself questions like, what is going on when it matters, right? Like, for example, you're playing in scam, right? You can assume in the dark, we can also assume certain matchups like, okay, I have white card solitude and a bunch of lands, right? My opponent, like, would I keep this? Well, it beats turn one grief, turn one fury, turn one ragavan. That's a hand to keep, right? Like, that might be like where you sort of go to. Uh, and there's like a lot of differing opinions there, right? But like, you can have a bunch of different things where solitude white card is your force of will of modern. And so, with that in mind, mulligan accordingly, you know, and like, yeah. you can go lower. I would encourage people that are going to go into like public discords or, you know, I'm going to make a channel in our discord because of this question just for hands. We've typically had like people post stuff in like the always improving section, but I would encourage more of this. So I'll I'll make one uh, after this episode, but I, I would encourage people to use that scale that I talked about where it's like, if everybody knows it's a keep, like, you don't need to post that. If you think it's a ditch, but think that people disagree with you, I say this, and then I think of Mason and Mikey's mono blue white hand. So maybe maybe I'm just wrong. Yeah, I, I think I think you just have conversation, like because you might just not know, right? And like, it's fine to be less skilled or weaker at mulliganing or new to a deck. No one, yeah. no one should blame you for that. No, Some, if someone's blaming that's for that, true. then that's you know. So, like, it's okay to yeah, be like, like Mason you know, and I are really new to blue-white. Apparently, you just keep terrible hands. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, I, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going to 
One, Nick, thank you so much for this question. I thought it was a really good one. And we didn't even plan to have the mulligan conversation that we had at the end of the main mm-hmm. topic. Yeah, I didn't even know the Patreon question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it just fit in so well. So thank you so much. If you have any questions or comments, you can go to the YouTube video, leave a comment or a question, and hear it on the air. Uh, you can uh, also follow the show, join the conversation on that Patreon Discord. There is also a public Discord where people talk about all things nerddom. <laughs> As well as magic, we get limited content, popper content, standard content, uh, all kinds of things. Uh, you can also follow the show on Twitter at CCMTG, as well as other social media. We're on Instagram, posting those shorts. We're on threads. We're you're everywhere. If you, you just look for CCMTG or CCMTG Pod, we'll be there for you. But one of the best ways to support the show, Mason, is to like, subscribe, or comment where you're listening. Uh, it is it is the best way to share the show with people. Get it into those algorithms. If you're watching, if you're watching the show, uh, you know, leave a comment. If you're like, oh, I clicked it from Twitter, comment on Twitter. Like it's it's the best way to do it. Mason, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mason E Clark. You can find me each and every week over at Card Kingdom writing articles this week. I'm writing about. Uh, I think a tier list for modern decks. So you can, you know, you can check that out for decks playing RCQ. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. I am moving very soon. And uh, the place I am probably hopefully manifesting chat manifesting. We're going to it has giga uh, or not gigabit, uh, fiber internet, gig, <laughs> gig internet. So uh, I'm hopeful to do that recently. This new place has had bad internet, uh, which has been, you know, a thorn in my side, but you know, new beginnings, new stuff. That's gonna be cool. Um, so check out that as well. That's the thing I really do want to do a bunch for, but it's just been such a problem with my internet. So sorry about that. I know I mentioned it before. You can reach out to me for coaching. You can do that on Twitter. Once again, that's Mason E. Clark, or you can reach out to me via email, Mason E. Clark at gmail.com. There's no E at the end of Clark. I know some people ask that question. Uh, and if you send me an email, just put coaching in the bio or the description. That way I know sort of what's coming through. I don't get some random person's email. Not going to click it if that's the case. And I do have some slots available and it's starting to ramp up with the RCQ season and the RC is just around the corner. You know, the Canadian RC Spencer for Pioneer is just two weeks away. So we're getting into that season. We're sort of the end of it this year. Or sorry, this season, which is a nice change. We've been at near the start most of the time. So, you know, it's going to be ramping up. So you're going to get that sooner is better than later. Spencer, what about you? Yeah, so you can find me at Spencer13H on X as well as threads uh you can find me on tiktok just look for the same type of stuff you'll you'll find me uh the uh really quickly um i did get some messages about coaching recently and i'm actually not accepting uh anything right now just with work and kids and stuff so please go to mason or uh abe at more nothings um that you know they're they're great like you don't you don't need me uh to be accepting people. I think they both have slots. So Mason, what'd you learn on the show this week? I learned that despite your jokes about Yawgmoth, I think you are a Yawgmoth, uh, not truther. Oh no, I'm sorry. That, that was, that was interesting. The real interesting one was Rhinos versus Tron. You got away from the conversation. Oh I no, no. I, I, so I think Tron, sorry. Uh, Rhinos asks a question about mm-hmm. eight eights or yeah. about, about four fours. That Tron can easily answer. It it can it it does not put pressure on Tron enough, and its mm-hmm. disruption outside of force is not good enough. Now, I, I will say we we discussed you and I and and Matt about like a subtlety version that beats up on Tron, 
But the data says that Tron is favored. The uh, I, my experience says Tron is favored, and I would say if you're not playing a bunch of subtleties main deck, uh, you probably are not Tron favored. Interesting. I guess in my mind, I just play a bunch of subtleties, so maybe that's where the difference is coming from. Is I'm going in there with like seven subtle, seven blue hate cards, and sure. the average person is not, which is a, a, I, a good thing for me to adjust for. Yeah. Um, what about you? You know, I think that I learned about myself this episode. There's not a lot of times on the podcast where like I go into it and then change my mind about something during the show. But after talking about the Omneth deck, I'm actually kind of a believer and I need to try it. But that, that bring to light deck sounds interesting. We had a, I had a really good conversation with, um, with former coast Matt Kling about, uh, up the beanstalk. And I was like, and we talked about, he talked about his problem with the card and how outside of certain decks, all it does is do things your deck was already doing. It was, your deck was already doing these things. And in Omnath, it definitely is doing that, right? Like the deck was already really good at drawing cards, really good at gaining card advantage. But it, I, I don't think that like that um, cards like Solitude and like with Beanstalk, like pitching a card and not losing a card are the same thing as like actually changing the game while drawing a card. Like when you're both changing, like warping the game around the thing that you're doing, and then also you are gaining card advantage while doing it uh, through for something that you've already invested your mana into, actually d- is kind of what Yorion was doing, right? It, it is it is in a similar vein of like, okay, I'm going to win this the game with this thing now, and I'm also going to recoup card advantage while doing it. So that if it doesn't work out, we're still in the same place we were before. So that that interests me a lot. That makes sense. Yeah, I think it is interesting. Beanstalk just turning whatever, specifically when you pitch cast, you're basically cycling the yeah. card, like you're pitching, right? Which is like strictly better, right? Like yeah. if I had to cycle a card in order to put my Solitude of Fear into play, obviously I'd play that card. Uh, so it is very interesting to see sort of how it changes stuff. And I'm curious to sort of see as time goes on, like, will three beanstalks become the norm? You know, like, do you like, like what happens, especially if the ring ever goes, you know, it's like if the ring goes, I think I'm beanstalk to the moon, you know, four of them, obviously, but like, it's just hard to have a lot of cards that draw a lot of cards. Like you just end up not doing much. That being said, if beanstalk was white. Holy cow. I'd be playing this deck all over the place. My cantrip that pitches to my solitude. Wah, wah, wee. But you know, not the world we live in. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Mason. Uh, and everybody, throw your hands up in the air. I saw Mason's wanting to live situation here. And we got to send him that good energy. Love you, dude. And we'll see everybody next time on another episode of Constructed Criticism.